Well, I would rather die than live without. How would you finish that sentence? I would rather die than live without. What is that one thing that you maybe feel like you cannot live without? I'm not talking the obvious things like food or oxygen or shelter or water. I'm talking about what is that thing that sets the agenda for your day? It's the first thing your mind turns to when you have a spare moment. What is that thing that if it was taken away from you, will you become irrational and unhinged and boiling mad? Maybe it's your phone or your bike. Maybe something a little deeper, like uh, your body, the way it looks. Maybe it's your friendships, what people think of you. Maybe even deeper, maybe it's your very identity. It's that set of beliefs that make you, you, that, that shape how you view the world. And if any of that was taken away from you, well, you would lose it. Everything would be shattered and your anger would consume you. It's a bit heavy for the, uh, the third last day of term, isn't it? Uh, but it's the rub of the book of Jonah uh, in the very last chapter, where Jonah uh, asks this question, or this question is asked of him, and it's kind of left hanging at the end of the book. In fact, in these very uh, last 11 verses, three times Jonah tells God that he is angry enough to die. And it is all because that that thing that he holds dear, the thing that sets his agenda for each day, where his mind is constantly drawn, well, that thing has been shattered by God, and now he can't take it. Jonah cannot live without payback. That is what his heart is set on, the destruction of his enemies. It's all because of his passion for his country, Israel. Remember, make Israel great again is what Jonah would have been on about. That is why he ran away from God to Tarshish. It was why he was thrown overboard on that ship. And it's why he preached only judgment, not mercy, in Nineveh. Because at the very core of Jonah's identity is the love of the payback of his enemies. And now he hates the mercy that God has shown to those very enemies. See, when God forgave Nineveh at the end of chapter 3, Jonah was filthy with God. He considers what God has done to be uh, an even greater evil than how Nineveh had been behaving towards Israel. And so in verse 2, he pleads with God. Well, really, he's not pleading with God. He's telling God off. He uses God's own words against him. He says, "'Please, Lord,' Isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and one who relents from sending disaster. That last sentence there about what God is like, that he's gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, those are the very words that God himself uses way back in the book of Exodus to introduce himself to Moses and Israel. And so here, Jonah, God's prophet, who was supposed to speak God's words to free people from judgment, well, now he's using God's words to take God and place him under Jonah's own judgment. Jonah thinks God is just a big softy, a pushover. And so he's twisting God's words, own, own words here against him. Now, the only other character in the Bible who uses God's own words against him is the devil, So Jonah's kind of putting himself in some pretty dubious company by doing this. 
But Jonah does it because he cannot bear the idea that God would show the same kindness and compassion that he has shown to Jonah to Jonah's enemies, the Ninevites. Jonah says that he would rather die than live without God destroying Nineveh. And so God asks him a pretty simple question in verse 4. He just says, is it good for you to be angry? Jonah doesn't answer that question. I think Jonah actually probably picked up the subtle sarcasm from God here because, of course, way back in the Garden of Eden, it was the devil again who twisted God's words to convince Adam and Eve that they should disobey God so that they would be able to decide what was good and what was evil, that they could make that choice without consulting God. That's the root of sin. It's the pride that you and I are the ones who get to call the shots. We decide what's right and wrong, what's good and what's evil. And Jonah has decided what is good. He thinks it is good for Nineveh to be destroyed. That's what he wants God to be like. He wants God to do that for him. Just like we might have decided that it is good for us to have that phone, that bike, that body, those friendships, that identity, those sets of beliefs. We make those things absolute. We make those good things into God things, and without them, we think there is nothing good. And so then begins the absurd ending of this story, where Jonah chucks a tanty over a planty. Jonah is still in denial about God sparing Nineveh, and so he goes and sits outside of the city to watch whether God will change his mind and rain down, I don't know, hellfire and brimstone on Nineveh. He gets himself all comfy on the hill and waits. And we're told that in verse 6, that God appoints, same word he used for the storm and the fish and the wind, he appoints a plant. And the plant is like shade for Jonah, and he sits down all comfy under the shade of this plant. And it says that Jonah is exceedingly happy about this plant. He really likes that plant. Jonah sits there, the sun goes down, he falls asleep. Now, in the evening, God appoints a worm. And the worm, that's my worm, uh, the worm is appointed to attack the plant. And he hacks off the branches. This is how worms work. Uh, and he hacked off the branches like that while Jonah is asleep. And then in the morning, poor Jonah wakes up and the plant is gone. And Jonah is so angry about, about this. The plant is dead. And then the sun rises and it gets quite hot and God appoints an east wind to bear down on Jonah's balding head and Jonah says that he is angry enough to die. Twice he says that. This is an absurd scene, isn't it? A man saying that he wants to die because a worm ate his plant. It is absurd, and it's meant to be absurd to show that Jonah has been the one who's been totally absurd throughout this entire book. Jonah the jerk has failed to see his need for God's mercy. So many times Jonah has been facing death rightly because of his unjust behaviour. Remember, he slept on that hammock during the storm rather than helping the sailors save themselves. He was big-noting himself when he was inside the belly of a fish rather than repenting for his stubbornness. And now he loses his nana over a pot plant instead of praising God. Now, God could have just, like the plant, cut him down and let him loose 
let him drown that time. But instead, he pursues Jonah. He brings justice for his rebellion and then offers him mercy again and again and again. See, what happens to Jonah on a small scale in this story is meant to show Jonah how God acts for us on that grand scale. But Jonah doesn't get it. Well, maybe he refuses to get it. And so God is the one who has the last word. God says to Jonah, you had compassion for that plant which you did not labour over and you did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. So should I not have compassion for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left as well as many animals? You see, Nineveh had no idea how to rescue themselves from their injustice. They did not know their right hand from their left. They had no clue. They actually thought that their evil was good. They didn't even know what they didn't even know. That's why God sent Jonah to them, to correct them so that they would have stripped away from themselves all the things that they held dear. Their power, their violence, their pride, their very sense of self. This is what God did to a whole city so that they might receive his mercy. And it is what God often does to our hearts as well. We think we know better than God. We've decided that that phone, that bike, that body, those friendships, that identity, that set of beliefs, that these are our gods and we must submit to them. See, the beginning of God working on your heart or my heart will be him revealing to us that that phone has enslaved you, that that body will fail you, that those friends will betray you, that your beliefs will deceive you, that you don't even know what you don't even know. And that eventually, at rock bottom, the only thing that defines you, endures you and saves you is the mercy and the justice of God, his goodness. All of God's goodness is, is found in him confronting our sin with justice and pardoning it in his merciful love. That is what Jonah should have realised in this story. But God doesn't seem to have hit the bedrock of Jonah's heart yet. Removing that plant, it exposed his uh, core belief that his personal comfort was more important than the rescue of his enemies. Jonah could not accept that God loved Jonah's enemies. And then the book ends. There's no answer from Jonah. There's no resolution. But the fact that we have this little book in the Bible means that there must have been a resolution. How else could we know about Jonah's prayer inside that fish? How else could we know about his remarkable dummy spit at God? If you were Jonah, you'd want to have kept those things quiet, I think, if you were Jonah the jerk. But if, as Jonah sat there in the blistering sun that day, with God's words ringing in his ears, should I not have compassion for the great city of Nineveh? Well, I think eventually Jonah must have realised that he should love his enemies too because they don't even know what they don't even know. And so then Jonah would have gone home and written these events down, warts and all, so that you could know. So that this fishy little tale could be woven into the rich tapestry of God's unfolding plan to bring his mercy and his justice together in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, where Jesus' enemies would decide that it was good to murder the goodness of God. And at that moment, Jesus would cry out for his enemies, Father, forgive them, 
for they do not know what they are doing. They do not know their left from their right, their good from their evil. I do not know. You do not know. Nineveh did not know. Jonah did not know. But now Jonah knows. Jonah knows that God loves his enemies, and thank goodness he does, because we are God's enemies. So aren't you glad that he loves you more than a plant, more than a fish, infinitely more? For God would rather die than live without you. For if Jesus died for your sin, then that's how God can be infinitely just, because all the shots that you've called instead of God They were fired at Jesus and he took them all into his self in infinite love and then rose again to share with you life eternal so that you will never have to live without the merciful love of God.